Hello and welcome to Parents Just Don't Understand, a podcast about children's media, parenting, and the nature of childhood. I am Kurt. And I am Denise. So tonight we've got a pretty cool episode for you. We'll be talking to young adult author, Newberry medalist, and all-around super nice person, Erin Entrada Kelly. Erin is the author of the new YA novel, Lilani of the Distant Sea, which tells the story of a 12-year-old girl who embarks on a dangerous journey across the sea in search of a cure for her mother's mysterious illness. Erin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I wanted to start by saying that we've both been reading your new novel. Uh, Denise has finished. I'm about halfway through. And it is immensely charming. Um, I think it does a really wonderful job of capturing like a sense of mythology and folklore and pairing it with this very like emotionally engaging and character-driven story. Um, so to start us off, I was wondering if you could just kind of talk a little bit about what led you to this particular story, especially since I believe it's your first fantasy novel. It is. So it's my fifth book and all my other books are all contemporary realistic fiction. And, you know, before I started writing Lilani, I was thinking about, um, the fantasy books that we have out there and the, the, the heroes and heroines that we have traditionally celebrated. And I was thinking a lot about when I was a kid and I would see these characters and books going on these big adventures, but I didn't really relate to them because I was a pretty quiet kid. I was a, a little bookworm and I was in my room all the time and very, very introspective and lived in my head. And a lot of these People going on adventures were very courageous and they were destined for greatness, you know, from a young age and precocious. And I was none of those things. So I started thinking about uh, what if there was a story about a girl who's just very ordinary, very uh, kind, not particularly courageous in the traditional sense that we think of. Um, not necessarily the most beautiful or the smartest or the cleverest, uh, you know, girl, uh, in her village, but she goes on an adventure. And then from that, I started thinking about, you know, why would a girl like that go on an adventure? And then I had to think, okay, well, why would I go on an adventure? And for me, you know, when I was, when I was young and growing up, I was a really, really sensitive kid. And, I really viewed it as a liability to be, to be overly sensitive. You know, my feelings would get hurt easily. My feelings would be hurt for other people easily. And it's a, it can be a kind of a painful way to go through life, you know? So I viewed it as a weakness and I know now as an adult, especially seeing what's going on all around us every day that, um, you know, the power of empathy is not at all a weakness or a liability. It's actually, um, an asset and something that's tremendously valuable. So I wanted a book that explored that and had a had a heroine who, who you know, compassion is her greatest weapon. It's her superpower, so to speak. And she goes on this incredible journey that is um, largely inspired by Filipino folklore. And she's on a quest to save her mother and really her her village as a whole as well. So that's kind of the, you know, those are the roots of what, you know, planted the seed of the story. 
I really sort of see, you know, fast forwarding 20 years, I see like an entire generation of women reading this book and kind of saying, you know, I was that meek girl and this book was about me. And so I just, I really loved reading it. And I also really loved how all of the, the powerful characters, whether they were kind of protagonists or antagonists really were all female. And that, um, a part of the storyline is that, you know, the, the men and the boys in the village that had tried to undergo this type of journey, they just weren't able to do it for one reason or the other. Um, Thank you for that, Denise. I really hope, I hope, right. That that was really my goal because really the book is exploring things like toxic masculinity and gender stereotypes and mm-hmm. expectations um, and all those different elements and, yeah. and fear and the, the, you know, all those different things that I wanted to explore and to show um, young readers that, um, you know, the society that seems to devalue um, kindness, compassion, mm-hmm. uh, womanhood, otherness, um, there's and, strength in that. And that underestimation, you, um, you know, a lot of my characters tend to be people who are underestimated either by themselves or by society, but ultimately triumph. And I think that's really important right now, especially to show that ordinary people can enforce extraordinary change. Yeah. And perseverance too. I think that there's something really special that happens when you can connect with something as a child and that it, you know, somehow like becomes ingrained in who you are. And I probably have mentioned this on our podcast many times, but I feel like for me, like the Anne of Green Gables book series was, like that was it. Like that was the literary character that I felt the most attached to, like from my young childhood. And I definitely, um, I don't know. I I want this. I want this book to be turned into a movie. It was so entertaining. I sat in my car for an additional like seventeen minutes or something like that because I was trying to get to like the to like the <laughs> end of the chapter before I like stopped and I went in and I went to work and was going because I knew that I wouldn't be able to listen to any more until I was done and, and commuting back home. <laughs> That's the best compliment. It either stays past their bedtime or stays audiobook. That's always the greatest compliment, right? <laughs> yeah. Um I oh, gosh, yes. It was it was so entertaining. Um and it definitely for me, it doesn't read like uh like a a young lit type book. I was thoroughly entertained. So um, I definitely hope that you get like the options to turn this into like a movie or a TV series or something because it was so good. Oh, thank you. I mean, <laughs> I do too. <laughs> but, the, um, but the thing is, you know, um, uh, children's literature ha- has become so much more complex than it ever was before. Even, even when we were, you know, young people, um, which I guess wasn't that long ago, you know, the eighties, um, <laughs> but, um, for me anyway. Um, so there are, there's much more room to explore, um, all these things. I mean, one of the books that, 
that I'm reading now that is absolutely incredible that's been getting a lot of buzz is called Maybe He Just Likes You. And it's for, um, it's intended for like readers nine to 12, but it's, it's very much a, uh, a book that inspired by the Me Too movement. So, you know, even, even at young ages, there's themes that, you know, influence and affect readers of all ages, obviously. But, um, like you said, there's books that you read when you're young that stay with you, that influence you. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful that right now in children's literature, there's more and more books that um, different different uh, readers can connect to and see themselves in. I, I hope that part of that is... Uh, as is a result of the changing of the views of the parents, right? Because at least for like young kids, I have the buying power of the books in my household. Um, so hopefully people are just in general making smarter decisions about what media they're exposing their kids to. I hope so. And I think, you know, and I think much of it has to do with just the fact of the shifting demographics of our country and our society over, you know, the past many decades. Um, And publishing has been a little slow to catch up as far as diversifying their lists and bookshelves, but things are really moving now. So um, yeah. Yeah. And it makes me incredibly uh, happy and proud. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the use of folklore and mythology in the Lani, especially because you mentioned it's inspired so directly by uh, Filipino folklore. And um, a lot of times in the book, the way that it integrates folklore and mythology into kind of the, the main character's worldview um, reminded me almost of like some dark fantasy type novels where it's it has a very has that very kind of slightly off kilter verisimilitude that actual folklore does where it's less that kind of constructed fairy tale type folklore that a lot of people think of when they think of children's literature and gets closer to actual folklore which tends to be a little bit threatening and a little bit weird um and i remember when we were talking before the episode, you mentioned that some people have even described Lalani as like being Moana, but with blood, um, which I thought was a very apropos uh, description in a lot of ways, because it kind of, it's very much folklore without the edges sanded off. Yes, thank you. Um, I think for, for a few different reasons, I, one of the reasons being because publishing has become more diverse and the themes have become more sophisticated than in years past. There is a lot more room to um, explore the very, very dark angles of uh, fairy tales and folklore, which has always been there. They've just always been, you know, the happy endings have been tacked on and the the blood and guts have been removed. (laughs) Um, But in this case, um, I really, well, for one thing, Filipino folklore, like most folklore around the world, is very, very dark. And, um, you know, when she's on this quest, I knew that she was going to have to face uh, a lot of darkness because 
uh, before her, you know, generations of men have tried the same journey and they have all failed. Um, so there had to be something massive that was, um, you know, causing all this mayhem. And so I, I took a lot of, I, I read a ton of Filipino folklore and did a ton of research and read books by, um, Filipinos about uh, the native folk- folklore and mythology. And I kind of took that and used that as inspiration. I didn't, I didn't do any direct interpretation. They're more reimaginings or, you know, of these creatures. And I wanted to show the reader. So throughout the book, there are these, uh, these sections, brief sections in second person that are yes. from the first point of view. And I did that because I wanted the reader to have more information than Lalani because it, it makes for a more layered reading experience. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted the reader to understand the creature's point of view. So maybe they don't fully, maybe the creature isn't all evil or all good or what have you, but at least the reader understands, okay, well, this is why, this is why the creature is doing this thing. You know, there's a motivation because all characters have motivations, whether they're good guys, bad guys, creatures, whatever. And so I wanted the reader to know. And I also, um, in, in most cases, I introduce the creature before Lalani encounters it so that the reader knows kind of knows what's coming. And then when Lalani encounters it, they're already familiar with what the creature is and what it wants to do to her. And um, so, yeah, there's a lot of different, you know, I, I wanted it. I wanted to keep that darkness and keep those sharp edges because, because I was exploring those issues that I mentioned earlier and they are dark and ugly issues. And, you know, I want to, I want to create a world that is um, serious and multi-layered and um, dark and ugly, and you know, so that she can mm-hmm. seek to overcome those things. Yeah, as you're talking, I'm thinking about like my favorite part from the book, really, and the part that sticks out the most in my head is when she's, you know, she's in the boat and the mist is kind of coming in all around her, and she just has to keep reminding herself of what her name is. I am Leilani Sarita. I am Leilani Sarita. And then it's the mist is trying to convince her that the, I guess, the monster that she has, like, that has, like, got gotten in the boat with her that like she should kill it and then she ends up like giving it a hug and says well we're in this together now um because she was like she was true to who who she was but then she also was able to see commonality in its eyes yes um and i just i don't know that just really like spoke to me on like a a different level of how you know that we can always relate in some fashion to whoever the opposition is. Thank you. Yeah, that 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 scene is readers have responded very strongly to that scene, which makes me very happy because obviously that that's my intention, of course. But um, yeah, she has she has the the ore from her boat, and she's raising it up to kill this this creature, which is a um, fictional creature called a pahalus, and it's kind of like a huge turtle slash snail creature and um she sees her reflection in in its eyes and that's when she remembers her name and and who she is and what she's doing there and you know obviously that was intentional because i wanted to show that um 
you know, it's, it's easy for us to forget our own humanity, especially with everything so polarized, you know, um, but, you know, we're all humans in this big world together, you know, so thank you for that. Well, and you, I guess it's like, you, uh, I guess, what's that saying? You know, your, your enemy, your friend or whatever. I don't remember how the saying goes. The enemy of my enemy? No. No? Okay. <laughs> your friend's close and your enemy's closer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. I was trying to think if it was something related to, like, compassion and, you know, we're all part of the same, like, system and probably, you know, bust into the circle of life. <laughs> well, that's, that's actually a beautiful transition uh, because kind of in prepping for this, Erin, uh, you mentioned just how strongly you felt about that theme of compassion. And you've already touched a little bit on it while we've been talking, um, but you kind of mentioned that you felt like it was at the heart of this story and also at the heart of a lot of what you write, I guess. And I think that um, a lot of our favorite media, especially children's media, also emphasizes that sort of theme of compassion and sympathy and, and kind of putting yourself in someone else's shoes and engaging with, with people as people with, you know, their own wants and needs. Uh, how do you think that comes through in this story in particular? Kind of like how, what was your goal in, in trying to focus so strongly on, on that theme? You know what my goal, you know, it's kind of a, um, a double edge in a way, because my goal was to show that, um, compassion and empathy can um, often be the strongest traits that a person can have rather than the weakest. And I, I, I armed Lilani with those things and virtually nothing else except for the single arrowhead that she has around her neck. Um, but on the, on the flip side of that though, um, we, you know, we talk a lot about, compassion and tolerance and, and all these different things, but, you know, they do have limits. What those limits are, you know, I, I can't verbalize. I guess they're, they're different for everyone. And what I mean by that is um, I don't need to necessarily, if, if, if your views, if your actions um, oppress me, if your act views and actions seek to um, devalue me, you know, the question becomes then to, to what lengths am I to make you my friend, so to speak? Um, so in the book, you know, there are tyrants, there are oppressors, there are, um, uh, evil humans and they do not meet necessarily, uh, sweet, happy ends in the book, um, which is also <laughs> intentional, right? Because, the, the characters who are not practicing those values, um, they have a difficult time of it at, at one point or another. And that was also intentional because, you know, I don't think that we need to um, practice tolerance at the expense of our own dignity, if that makes sense. So it's one of those, it, you know, it's kind of that, that fuzzy line, which each person has of their on their own, you know, which only each of us can define for ourselves. So that was kind of the the, the two sided coin I was trying to work with when I wrote the book. 
Yeah, there's definitely an element in um, children's media, I think, where especially when you get kind of into the more Disney Pixar canon, where people uh, or creatures that are evil are in some way just seeing the world wrong. And it's kind of expected almost uh, a lot of the time that they will come around. They just need to accept the, 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 the hero or the heroine's way of thinking, or they need to open up open up their heart in some way and they will become good. And I really do appreciate stories that kind of, and I think this is part of folklore, especially that say, well, no, certain things are threatening and you may not be able to win them over. It may be more than just a simple misunderstanding. There may actually be people or things who are opposed to you. And yeah, you will need to have an, an end to your compassion or a limit to your compassion uh, where you are still caring for yourself and your loved ones, and you may have to choose. Uh, and I think that that really comes through strongly in reinforcing, I guess, the verisimilitude of the way that, especially these mythological creatures, are are portrayed in in the in the story. Yes, thank you. And, that, and that's and you put it very well because I'm I you know my hope is that. I think the issue is when someone is kind, compassionate, and empathetic, we ha- we have mangled and equated that to, um, I've been using the word as a, a weakness, but the reason we view it as a weakness is because we equate it to being a pushover or um, someone who can be steamrolled or, or, you know, bossed around or whatever you want to call it. But my hope is with the book, you know, the message is that you can be kind, you can be compassionate, you can also be brave, you can also be an upstander, you can also ignite revolutions. Um, you know, being kind, empathetic, and compassionate does not mean that you then sacrifice your, your self-worth or self-dignity at, at the, um, you know, to please others. That's not what, that's not what it's about. That's a whole separate thing. And I think the problem is that a lot of people have uh, connected those two things, but they're not the same thing. So the message being, you can be all those things. You can be a kind, compassionate, empathetic person and still be a revolutionary and still be, you know, the person leading the charge or the person rallying the troops, so to speak. I think that's probably a theme that would connect very strongly with a lot of parents because something that I think I've experienced in my journey as a person and becoming a parent has been that I am far less willing to compromise when it comes to my children than I am when it comes to myself, where I might say, well, I'm willing to put up with some nonsense that just impacts me. Um, and so I will deal with such and such, or I'll just put up with such and such. But when it comes to our children, I think as parents, we find ourselves needing to draw a much stronger line in the sand because we're not just deciding for ourselves, we're deciding for, for someone else that we are meant to protect. And I think that um, I found it very interesting that way back at the beginning of our discussion, you mentioned that... Lilani is not the bravest character in the story. And I, I found it really interesting the way that that was portrayed, especially where if I think if you didn't know that Lilani was the protagonist, you might almost assume 
that her friend Veda might be the the protagonist who there's I think there's even a quote about how Lalani has a, a heart of clouds and Veda has a heart of rock I, I believe and I really love that role of someone becoming a protector who may not be what you think of when you think of a, a protector and I think there's a lot of that in in parenting too I agree and I think you know when I became a parent, I, it occurred to me, you know, as parents, we, our greatest wish, I think we would all agree, is we want our, our children to be better than ourselves. So all these lessons that, that we learn coming up, we, if we want our children to be better than ourselves, we have to unlearn a lot of those lessons, you know? And um, when I was growing up, I thought, you know, I thought of myself because I was because I was quiet and, and introspective. I thought of myself as a real coward because I was like, well, you don't, you never stand up, you never speak up. Um, and with my daughter, I made sure that that she knew um, that whoever she was was right. Basically, what I tell young people when I speak at schools is, you don't have to change who you are. You don't have to be the loudest. You don't have to be the smartest. You just have to be the best version of yourself. And being the best version of yourself is staying true to who you are. Um, also being an upstander, you know, standing up whenever you see an injustice. And however that looks for you, you know, because I think when I was young, you know, I would see um, things happening, whether it's someone being bullied, myself or others. I was never quite sure what to do because I, I was, you know, quiet and I didn't want to draw attention to myself. I wanted to be part of the wallpaper. Um, so with my daughter, you know, I made sure to open the discussion and say, okay, what, what are some things you can do if you experience uh, bullying or if you witness someone else being bullied? What do you do if um, you have a friend who comes out to you? What do you do if... Um, you know, just all these different scenarios that, that things, that conversations that didn't necessarily happen when I was growing up, but I think they're happening increasingly more now, I think, you know, and, and pointing out uh, injustice and inequality and unfairness and sexism and racism and homophobia whenever we see it and discussing it with our kids because we, we want them to unlearn the things that we have learned. Something that's always struck me as a parent is that I, I go back and forth between the extent to which children are natu naturally compassionate and the extent to which they need to be taught compassion. And I think where I've kind of come down, especially as our older daughter gets gets older and becomes more and more able to express herself and, and you know demonstrate independence, is that exactly what you were talking about i think people feel compassion inherently you know i see our three-year-old uh if if she's eating and sees someone else is not eating she wants to share but i think kids sometimes need to be taught the extent to which they should take action on their compassion and kind of encouraged you know exactly as you as you said to you know, speak up if you see something happening and stand with someone if someone needs, you know, a friend or, or support. Uh, so I, I really, uh, I, I really think that that, that 
topic or, or theme resonates very strongly with with both kids and and with adults um w- was that a conscious decision to focus on that throughout the the story or was it something that kind of came together organically as you were creating it i would say that that part kind of um came together organically and, and it's 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 again kind of that um it is towing the line because you wonder, um, are some people, you know, naturally compassionate at, at what point does it, does it become something, you know, morph into something else. But, um, I think that that angle of it probably was, uh, more organic. So I wanted to talk a little bit about, other works of children's media that you feel like maybe touch on some of the same themes of compassion. Uh, Cause I remember when we were talking beforehand, you, you kind of said it was something that resonated strongly with you in general. And there were a few other works that you could think of that, that you felt like captured some of the same um, approach to that as, as Lalani. Is there anything that jumps to mind, whether recent or in the past? Yeah, I have a few actually. Um, a few uh, picture books, so for the littlest ones. Um, there's a book called Neither, or Neither, I guess it depends on how you pronounce it. Um, Neither by Airly Anderson, and it's a picture book about um, the land of this or that. And in the land of this or that, there are only blue bunnies and yellow birds. But then a green bunny-bird hybrid arrives, and nobody knows what to do. Um, with this strange creature because you can only be one or the other. Um, so the book is very much about um, acceptance because the, the neither is, is the name of the little bunny bird hybrid because they say you're neither this nor that, you're neither, you know, um, goes off and tries to find a place where, um, a place of acceptance. So the book is very much about um acceptance, um, compassion, empathy. Um, the wall in the middle of this book by John Agee is very much uh, reflective of our current times with, with the walls and whatnot. Um, and it's a book of, with a, a picture book that has a wall in the middle of the book uh, in the gutter. Um, and on one side is an ogre and on the other side is a knight. And the knight has put up the wall to prevent the ogre from uh, hurting him. But the reader can see what's going on on either side of the wall, and it's not what is expected. Um, so that's a great one. Uh, Come With Me by Holly McGee is about a girl who asks her father what she can do to make the world better because she sees on the news um, all the terrible things going on. So he takes her on a walk. Um, great lessons there. And then I mentioned maybe he just likes you already by Barbara D, which is inspired by the Me Too movement, and that's for older kids, so nine and up. Another one is Good Kind of Trouble by Lisa Ramey, which is a Black Lives Matter inspired book, also for nine and up. Um, the one and only Ivan is a, a contemporary classic. It won the Newbury Medal several years ago, and it will soon be a film, and it's read in many, many schools, but it's by Catherine Applegate, so I highly recommend the one and only Ivan. 
And I definitely saw that one on your Goodreads list. Of uh, <laughs> I think it was on your favorites list, actually, when I was snooping around. Yes, it is a favorite. It's very good. <laughs> and it's about, um, I actually have a stuffed gorilla because it's about a gorilla named Ivan who's kept as a, as basically as a roadside attraction. And, um, and the whole book is told from his point of view. It is, uh, an incredible book and, uh, soon to be a movie with, uh, Angelina Jolie. And I'm not sure who else is in it. I mean, it's an, it's an animated movie, but she's one of the, the, the voiceovers. Um, and then another one that came to mind was uh, Out of My Mind by Sharon Draper. And Out of My Mind is about a girl who is nonverbal. And, uh, but she's completely, um, she has all her faculties. She just can't speak. She has cerebral palsy. And so that the whole novel is told from, you know, her interior voice and demonstrates how people respond to her and treat her because, you know, they make many, many assumptions based on her condition. Uh, and the character also has, um, a photographic memory, although I don't believe we call it photographic memory anymore. I think we call it endemic memory or some such. I don't know what it's called now, but um, that one is called Out of My Mind by Sharon Draper. So those are just a few, but there are many, but those are the ones that come to mind right off the bat. Um, well, since you mentioned uh, the Newbery winners, um, can we talk a little bit about your award-winning book? Sure. Um, <laughs> My award-winning book is called um, Hello, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, we bought this one. Um, we ha- we specifically waited because we wanted to make sure that we got the the seal. Yeah, like as because <laughs> we had we had bought it previously, but it didn't have the seal on it. So I was like, we have to buy another one because we actually know the author. <laughs> yeah, I like that seal too. I'm a big seal. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Hello Universe is um, it's told from four points of view but the story mostly centers around uh, Virgil who is um, as it describes in the opening paragraph he's very shy he's the smallest boy in his class and he's always picked last for basketball and when the book opens, we see that he's very disappointed because it's the last day of school and he never talked to the girl he wanted to talk to in his class, whose name is Valencia. And Valencia is uh, another point of view character. And she's deaf and she and Virgil are in the same uh, resource class at school. And um, Virgil goes to his friend Kaori Tanaka for help and she's a 12 year old fortune teller and he wants her help to try to figure out how he can befriend Valencia and um, on his way to see Kaori he encounters Chet who is the neighborhood bully and he's the fourth point of view character and Chet plays a prank on Virgil and Virgil goes missing and so Valencia and Kaori set out to find him. So the book, the book takes place over the course, mostly over the course of one uh, summer day, the first day of summer vacation. And it is, it was acquired by Netflix. So the script, they're finishing the script now. And so, you know, who knows when it will go into actual production, but that's the stage that they're at at this point. Oh my 
That is so exciting. I did not know that. Yes, thank you. It's very exciting. I'm very excited. And Forrest Whitaker is attached to participate, isn't he? He is. He's one of the uh, producers. He is a producer and his partner, Nina Yang Bongiovi, is the other producer as well. That's so exciting. Um, I really loved Hello Universe, and um, I just really loved how in depth you get um, you get with all of the the different four characters' points of views. Um, and I I just uh, I can't wait for that. Like the detective agency, I was kept thinking that there was going to be like a second book that would come out of the Tanaka and Somerset, um, like you know, crime solving. Um, fortune telling services or something. Yeah, I've, I've had that question a lot from young readers, but um, no sequels planned. You know, I always say never say never, but <laughs> yeah, I'm not great with sequels, so uh, probably not. But you never know. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I've been racking my brain uh, since we first kind of talked about the theme of compassion to try to think of something that we could recommend, especially in an older book from when we were kids that, that also dealt with the same themes and maybe speaking to some of the, the changes that you mentioned happening in, in YA and children's lit, lit, I couldn't think of anything super good until you mentioned, um, in your kind of recap of Hello Universe, the, the bully, and it reminded me of the My Teacher is an Alien series by, I believe, Bruce Coville, Coville uh, which I was a huge fan of when I was a kid. And there's one particular book, uh, My Teacher Flunked the Planet, which I believe is the third or fourth book, which is actually told from the point of view of a character who had been a bully in the previous uh, books in the series. And the reason that the book is called that is because the aliens, the titular aliens that are all impersonating teachers, basically judge the Earth and find it lacking because we do not show enough compassion to all the people on the Earth. And I remember specifically, there's one particular scene that has stuck with me my entire life, and maybe this says a lot about my personal politics, I don't know, where, uh, to make that point, they they show the, the kids, the protagonists, all of the hungry people in the world, and then they show them all the, basically, the rich countries of the world and all the food that they're wasting and throwing away and make this point about how, you know, what you will be judged on as people, as, you know, is your capabilities to show compassion to other people. Um, and so I finally have it. So there's, there's, there's my recommendation for a book that does kind of make that its, its uh, central message is, uh, my teacher flunked the planet part of the, my teacher is an alien series. So thank you for reminding me about that in a roundabout way. Oh, well, you're very welcome. And I will say that, that for parents out there who are thinking of books, um, specifically books for their, their kids, you know, I think we have a tendency to reach back to, our own childhood and think about books that we can give and recommend. But I would absolutely urge parents to, if they don't read, um, you know, children's lit, if, if that's not their bag um, and they're not clued into what's going on right now, I really encourage them to sit down and just type in books about compassion for nine, seven year old, six years old, whatever age that they're, they're, it is because there is so much there are so many books out there um 
on so many levels that are exploring everything. I mean, you name it, and it's out there, whether it's religion, sexuality, gender expression, mm-hmm. um, first periods. I mean, there's there's a book for just about everyone now, whereas there wasn't anymore. I mean, there's still a long way to go, but the representation of issues, abilities, um, races, genders, families, all, all those things that weren't there when we were young people um, are there now, but you have to look for them and you don't have to look very hard or far. I mean, you can, you know, it's a simple Google search. It's a simple question to the bookseller. Um, but, but they're out there and and not to mention graphic novels. There's, there's, Mm -hmm. that's a really burgeoning area. If you have a young person at home who isn't super excited about reading, Mm -hmm. um, graphic novels are a great way to get them excited about reading because, you know, obviously it's, it's, um, it's not as, it doesn't feel as dense to a lot of people who, who don't like to sit there and, and read or who are more engaged by images and pictures and art. Um, and there's graphic novels that explore all the things I just mentioned. So there, there's so much more out there than there was um, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. And uh, it's really exciting and it makes my heart happy knowing that um, young people have so many more options than we did. And, and books I'll are, just, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm so, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. I just wanted to throw in a plug for your local library because the Absolutely. librarians there are likely to have so many fantastic recommendations as well. They absolutely will. And I'm a very active library patron, so I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Librarians absolutely will know what's up. Uh, They always know what's up. Oh, they they know. (laughs) And if, if, you know, for listeners out there who are thinking of of children's books and they're thinking of things like Little House on the Prairie or overly pedantic, um, you know, message-riddled books, so to speak, Things have happened and, and have come such a long way, and, and books are much more um, layered than they ever were for young people. So it's important to seek those titles out if you're not already familiar with them. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and so because I loved Hello Universe so much, I went down the list of looking at some other uh, Newbery winners, and I, that was how I came up to. The Girl Who Drank the Moon, which we talked about actually on our last episode because we were talking about uh, witches and media. And and I noticed when I was reading some things uh, about Leilani that a lot of people were like, well, if you liked The Girl Who Drank the Moon, you're going to love this book. And I absolutely did. So <laughs> it's an incredible book. Yeah. Ellie <laughs> Bornhill is an incredible author and person and woman. So Yes, highly. Right. I did. I purposely didn't read it until after <laughs> I wrote Lilani, you know, just because I did. I didn't read any fantasy uh, when I got when I from the moment I first got the idea that I was going to write it until after it was done. So um, and I haven't seen Moana, so I have no idea about those comparisons either. <sighs> probably I should. Um, but yes, it is an incredible book. And the audio book for The Girl Who Drank the Moon is is, is really good, too. Oh, okay. I I read the physical one. I didn't I didn't see the audiobook on that one. But I think um one more thing throwing into the discussion of the Newberry is I think that 
Kids Lit is very lucky to have such well-curated, reliable awards, I think, especially compared to some of the adult, especially genre literature. You know, my I, I think that in general, um, the, the Hugos, for instance, have done a better job of picking actually good literature in the past couple of years. They've started to improve, I think, their selection process. Um, but I still trust... Uh, the Newberries and I mean, like the Caldecott and vastly more than I would trust any adult literature award. I just think that the people who are, and probably part of it is that librarians are so involved, but the people who are doing the selection process have such a deep passion, um, that transcends kind of the more commercialized interests of some of the other, you know, adult literature awards, I think. It just feels much purer, and they do a really good job of elevating new authors and broadening their horizons constantly that I think you just don't get um, once you get outside of YA and kid lit. Uh, I agree 100%. Yeah, and my dog is too. <laughs> we are very familiar with it. Very passionate about it. <laughs> no, I agree. To I absolutely agree. I absolutely. Agree. Well, um, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, before we say goodbye, is there anything that you wanted to shout out, or any upcoming tours or events or, or announcements you can tease? Um, well, if anyone wants to learn more about the folklore behind Lani and or see upcoming events and such, or just learn more about me, they can go to my website, which is com. And also, please follow me on Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter. I love Twitter. And I am at Erin Entrada, also on Instagram as well. She's also on Goodreads, and she has a lot of... Uh, Super fans is what I'm going to call them because some of the <laughs> some of your reviews and comments on Goodreads were very long and incredibly eloquent um, about about your books that I've read. So thank you. Yeah, that that always excites me whenever someone takes. You know, it's such an honor that someone takes time to sit there and yeah. and write this really eloquent review because you know people don't have all the time in the world. So I, I, I definitely what that's like when you're so so passionate about a book that you take time to share it and yeah. to someone felt that way about something i wrote is just uh it's incredible it's absolutely I, I i rank goodreads reviews higher in my brain than like amazon or barnes and noble or whatever website reviews because i feel like if you have an account on goodreads you are a dedicated reader like you're dedicated to whatever you're doing. Um, and I don't know, for whatever reason, I just find that the reviews are much better. <laughs> Hardcore readers are on Goodreads. Let's be honest. For better <laughs> yes. yes. So, well, uh, thank you again for joining us tonight, Aaron. Uh, it has been a pleasure having you on. Um, everyone definitely go and check out Lilani of the Distant Sea. It is excellent. Uh, I'm halfway through it, and I fully expect that the back half will be as good or better than the first half. And uh, Denise was a big fan, too, so it gets the uh, official parents just don't understand imprimatur of excellence. Um, and uh, thanks. It's been super awesome, Aaron. Thanks to you both. It was a real pleasure. Yeah. Have a great night. Cheers. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. <laughs>